You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Revolution Church. All right. I still have not gotten used to, like a few months in, I hate that clock. It's just so awkward. Right, the countdown clock—it's a—it's a living nightmare. It really is. I just want to start when I'm ready to start, but no, like we got people with kids, and we gotta make sure they can get their kids. I'm kidding. I love our children. Just so you know, if you come here and your kids here all the time, I guarantee you they're on my prayer list. I love your little sinners. Um, they need the Lord, and God bless our uh, nursery volunteers downstairs. Uh, anyway, so my name's Dave. I think I saw a couple of faces. Maybe I'm not familiar with. My name's Dave. I'm the teaching pastor here at Revolution Church. Um, and just real quick, uh, before we even get into this, uh, I have—I think I have a pinched nerve in my neck. So if I'm like moving around like a robot at all, or seem like if you see me wince, it's not that I'm being like slain in the spirit or anything. Like it's because my neck hurts. Um, so just wanted to get that clear. We're Baptists; we don't do that. Um, but yeah, so what we're doing—we uh, are continuing through our series of First John. We're looking at John's letter, um, and. I've, I've decided to call this series Simple Truths, and you guys know this spiel if you've been here for a while. Uh, much of what John tells us in this letter are things that we have heard before on repeat, especially if you've been in the church uh, for any amount of time. If you've been a believer for very long at all, these are probably things you've heard, but God's people are very slow to take to heart uh, what the Lord's told us in His Word. So we always need reminded of the most basic and foundational truths and principles of the faith. And I appreciate letters like this that just lay it over again and again for us. So my prayer for you, what I would implore you to do as you hear this sermon and all the sermons throughout uh, the rest of your life, really, uh, please try to posture your heart as much as you can to receive these truths, even if you've heard them before. Right? So we, again, we don't come to the preaching to hear something new. We come to, to hear our duty toward God and hear His love towards us. Right? So this evening, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 3, and we are jumping ahead a whole two whopping verses. Right? This is week 3 of chapter 3, and we are doing verses 2 and 3 now. So I'm pretty excited for this, really making some headway. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but in this passage, right, we've seen a lot of encouragement from John, you know, uh, like, behold the love of God towards us, that we should be called His children, that He's given us this love. And John is going to continue to encourage us in these two verses. Um, he's going to do so by reminding us of the future hope that we have in Christ. Um, and I think that John encourages, encourages us a lot in these first three verses of this chapter uh, because he's getting ready to go back through some of the tests that determine what true faith is and who is actually a Christian and who isn't, right? Right? Uh, so he's kind of like, like giving us like a big hug and saying, like, I love you guys, um, but I'm about to lay the smack down. Right? So like, enjoy this last week before the sermons start to get super challenging again. Uh, I like how the Bible gives us encouragement and then just lays it on us and then encourages us again. Uh, so it's probably going to get a little bit rough. Uh, and that's what John's doing is he's encouraging us before it gets tough on us again. Uh, but just so you know, if, uh, if, if this past week has been a rough one for you, Right? And what I mean by that is, I'm, I'm talking about your fight against sin, your fight against temptation. Um, if, if, this, if, if you have found yourselves lately weighed down by your sin or growing tired of the fight for holiness, this sermon is straight for you. Uh, this sermon is not for the nominal Christian who is at peace with their sin, and John would tell them that they're not a Christian at all. This sermon is tailor-made toward the person who is fighting for holiness, striving for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, 
This is a breath of fresh air for us. Like I know many of you, I could talk to you guys, I know many of you mourn your sin and you fight hard to be holy as God has called us to be. But I also know um, that all of us fail to be exactly what God has called us to be. All of us fail daily uh, to perfectly reflect that image of God that we were created to, to reflect. Um, and, and, and I think in the midst of that fight sometimes, uh, to reflect Christ, to be holy, uh, we can find ourselves asking the question, will it ever end? Right? Will this fight ever end? Will I ever actually be just like Jesus? Will I ever stop sinning because I'm so tired of sin? I'm so tired of sinning. And for those of us who are sick of sin and its effects and the sin that remains in us, the passage we're going to read this evening is good news for you. Because John is going to remind us of the certainty of future glory for the children of God. And then in light of that, he's going to encourage us to continue to pursue righteousness and continue to pursue reflecting Jesus as much as we possibly can in this life. All right, so that's kind of a, a synopsis of what we're going to be in this evening. So without any more, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Uh, that's not being very reliable right now, the uh, projector, so you might have to crack a, an actual hardback Bible open, right? Who would have thought? That, does anyone in here not own a hardback Bible? Because you can take one of those home with you. Yes. I like hardbacks. Anyway, it's paperbacks. I'm sorry. I meant a physical copy, Matthew. Thank you for correcting me in front of like 70 people. I appreciate that. Um, respect your elders. Right? <laughs> anyway. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll break this passage down a little bit. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that we're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through trusting in Christ alone, for your glory alone. We thank you for those truths. Holy Spirit, please convict us of our sin. Though we are saved by Christ alone, let us not be content uh, with where we're at in our, in our life of holiness, and our life of godliness. Please continue to conform us to the image of Christ. Please use this message as a means of grace to the people here this evening, that we might leave with a greater sense of what we are called to be and the great promises that you give us. We thank you because everything is ours in Jesus. Amen. All right. So, he starts off, Beloved, we are God's children now. All right, and I really like that. I really like that. So we're going to hang out here for a minute. This is a huge theme in John's letter. This is something that we've went over for the last couple of weeks. John really wants us to get this truth and just have it ingrained and just stamped upon our hearts. Right? We are God's children now. So again, I know that this is going to be me repeating myself from the last two weeks, but I don't care. Right? I want to encourage you all again, especially if this has been a rough last week for you, especially if you find yourself beaten down by the weight of sin in your life. I want you to be encouraged by this because we need to know this. Right? So often we... We get really wrapped up, in, and, it's, and this is good, right, because we've got a bunch of Calvinists up in here. Not all of you. Lord will work on you. But, uh, but we're really good at focusing on uh, our depravity, right, and our sinfulness and what a wretch that I am. And those things are all true, and I never want you to forget those for two seconds because when you do, you'll become a Pharisee, right? But he says we are God's children now. 
Right? So you, Christians, so I'm talking to you, the one who has turned from their sin and turned towards Christ and embraced Him by faith and has been born again, you, Christian, are God's child now. At this present moment, since the first moment that you believed on Christ. That's amazing. Right now, this is what you are. You are saved. You are saved and you will be saved from the coming wrath of God. You belong to God now. This is a present reality for you. There's no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. This is what you are by faith in Christ and this is what you evermore shall be as a child of God. So let's just break down what that means. So for those of us who are in Christ, those who believe on Christ for salvation, you have been chosen by God. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Before God laid the foundations of the world, He chose you. Not because you were worth choosing, but because of His great love for you. He chose you to be His child. He loves you. Not only have you been chosen, but you were chosen for atonement. You were chosen to be one of the ones that were atoned for in the work of Christ. Right? In Christ's life, death, and resurrection, Christ lived the life that you couldn't live in your place, took the wrath of God on your behalf. He completely um, satisfied the wrath of God. He completely satisfied the righteous requirements of God's law on your behalf. You have been atoned for. Your sin is put away through what Christ has done. No more wrath for you. You have actually received atonement in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we who have believed on Christ have been regenerated. The children of God have been regenerated. We have been born again of the Holy Spirit. Right? We've been brought from death to life. Though we were running from Him, the Holy Spirit did a work in us, caused us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. He gave us the new birth. He made us into God's children. He gave us the gift of faith by which we grabbed hold of Christ. And from the moment we grabbed hold of Christ, we as the children of God have been justified. That's a Bible word. Hold on to that one. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous in God's sight because of Christ's work on our behalf. This is a one-time legal declaration that is unchangeable. You are righteous in my sight. Yes, you are guilty of your sin, but your sin has been, I have pardoned you. You're not innocent of it, but I've pardoned you for it. I have granted my children amnesty, is what God says. You've been justified. As the children of God, we have been given the perfect gift of the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him to become sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's life in our place has been given to us, so that in the judgment, the children of God would be judged off of Christ's righteousness and not our own sinfulness. And we've been adopted by the Father through the Son. This is how we are children of God. And lastly, we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity. This is insane for the children of God to be able to say this. The third person of the Trinity dwells in you. God himself in you. Working in you. Working righteousness and holiness in you. These are all absolutely glorious truths for us. Absolutely glorious. And we need to reflect on these things daily if we are to have any hope in this life. Because life is hard. Sin is hard to kill. We sin all the time. But we are children of God now. These are beautiful, glorious truths for us. But John says this. John says, 
We are children of God now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? So that's kind of weird. So in calling us the children of God, he's bringing to our mind all of those things that we just talked about, being chosen, atoned for, all that stuff. But he says, and, and yet what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's something for us that we do not have yet. There's something else as children of God that we are to receive but that we don't have. And if you guys are familiar with the golden chain, yeah, anyone? Show of hands. Romans 8.30. Thank you, Deborah. Right? She's been paying attention in the Romans small group. Uh, Paul can help us understand what this one last thing is that we don't yet have. That we're the children of God and we have all these other things, all these beautiful, glorious truths. These things are ours. Romans 8.30 tells us what we yet don't have. Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? So again, everything that we talked about, we talked about we were chosen, we were predestined, we were called, we were drawn to Christ, we've been justified, but we haven't been glorified yet. Now Paul uses it in the past tense because it's such a sure certain thing for the people of God that Paul can use the word glorified in past tense. But yet this is not in time happened to those of us who are still living. Glorification, there's your theological word for the day, uh, glorification is the one thing that we do not have yet as Christians and I believe that that's what John is referring to. Right? What we will be has not yet appeared. Well, this is the only thing that's yet to appear. So clearly, he's referencing glorification. Now, there are different aspects to glorification, uh, but I want to I like zero in on one in particular. Um, because in context of this whole passage, right, verses 3 through 10, um, those verses that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks are all about moral purity. Right, so I'd say John is talking about one specific aspect of glorification, and that is sinless perfection. That's just a cool thing to be able to say. This is going to be ours, sinless perfection. So if I could kind of retool John's sentence here, not to do like anything wrong to the word, but essentially John is saying we are justified, we belong to God in Christ by faith, but we have not yet arrived, Right? We are not yet what we will be. We are not yet sinless. So John is reminding us of that hard truth that though we have been reconciled to God, we still deal with indwelling sin. And this is something that all of us have. So please hear me on this because there are a lot of of churches around here that have a really jacked up theology of holiness and sanctification, which we're going to get into that. Um, So hear me on this. God has not zapped a single believer this side of heaven with perfect holiness, right? Some people will try to tell you, oh, I don't sin anymore. It's like, well, you just lied. Um, So, yeah. Um, Anyway, so God has not zapped a single person this side of heaven with perfect holiness. No one is past tense sanctified in this life. That's something that's going to happen at a point in the future when we are glorified, right? So everyone has indwelling sin. So I want to take a side note here. Though this is true, so please hear me on this, because this has been a problem in our church for a long time. We're getting better, and I, I want to encourage you uh, all as, as, as people in this church, continue down the path that you're on in holiness, but this is something that we still need correction on. Um, though it's true that we have indwelling sin, right, or as the Puritans would call it, remaining corruptions within us, that we have remaining corruptions within us, we ought not to accept it. It's true, it's a fact, but we ought not be at peace with that. right? Our sin is absolutely unacceptable even though we have been accepted by God in Christ. 
our sin is still completely unacceptable, even though we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Right? Too often, we look at the grace of God, and, and I have been chief among sinners for this, but too often, especially in the, in the Reformed crowd, or at least the younger Reformed crowd, I see this, we look at the grace of God and the fact that it is Christ's work that saves us and not our own merits, and then we become lazy when it comes to our striving to be like Jesus. That's unacceptable. That's actually a heresy. It's called antinomianism. It means to be against the law and not care about the law of God, which we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But we become lazy because we, we, we rest in the grace of God, but it's really we're cheapening the grace of God by not caring, and caring anything about holiness. So what I want you to do, just for a minute, think on your sins right now in your life. The, the first sin that comes to mind is probably the most problematic in your life. I'm going to wager. Think on your sin. The first one you think of is probably the one that needs to go first, though they all need to go. All right, so much of this sermon that we're going to go into from here is about sanctification and the promises of God that fuel our desire to be holy. Right, but the reason why I want to pose this, and we're going to come back to this, what is that sin in your life right now, the big one that comes to your mind? The reason why I want you guys to think on your own sin as, as, we, as we go through this sermon is because we must apply these sermons to ourselves. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm chief of sinners on this. I'm the one who just wants, just give me the theological information. Give me another systematic theology book. I'll eat the books to death. Just keep giving them to me, but I don't want to apply the truth to my heart most often. More often than I care to admit. And if we don't apply sermons to ourselves and really search our heart, then this is a waste of time. So please, be honest with yourself. What in your life is sinful and what needs to go? All right, so, though we have been justified, to get back on the text. So though we have been justified, we have not yet been glorified. We still have sin in our lives. But God's plan for the people of God is not that we would just sit in our sin and wait for our glorification. Although that would be awesome, wouldn't it? I can just remain how you are, and just but one day it's going to be different. Um, so again, please take this to heart. The, the plan of God is that the people of God would be, rather that the Holy Spirit would work holiness in the people of God, in this life, before we receive sinless perfection. That's the plan of God, is that the Holy Spirit would work Holiness in us. All right, that's sanctification. That's that word, to be made holy. And this is one of the reasons why I believe the third person of the Trinity is called the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit because that's what he does. Right? He makes the people of God into holy people. Right? Now, this is the same person, the third person of the Trinity, right? the Holy Spirit, is the same person who currently dwells in all believers all who have come to faith in Christ. So this plan that the people of God would become holy is for all of God's people. None of us in this room, if you're a Christian, none of us are exempt from this. Being holy, being more and more sanctified is not next level Christianity. This is bare bones started the moment you believed on Christ. Right? Killing sin, becoming holy. But Romans 8.29 I think gives us uh, a decent... Uh, it's one of two passages we're going to look at that really tells us uh, succinctly what the work of the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer. Romans 8.29. 
For those whom he foreknew, this is the Father, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. All right, so the Holy Spirit, after causing us to be born again and making us into the children of God by faith in Christ, begins to conform us to the image of Christ. All right, that's what God predestined us for. Not only salvation, but that we would be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. All right? And Jesus, Paul tells us, I believe it's in Colossians, is the visible image of the invisible God. So the Holy Spirit after he causes us to be born again and gives us the gift of faith that we might turn to Christ in faith and be saved, he begins to change us so we rightly reflect who Jesus is. He conforms us to the image of Christ, which is what we were created to do anyway. Right? You guys know Genesis 1.27. In his image he made them, male and female he made them. Right? So whenever God first created man, whenever he created Adam and Eve, his plan for them, his people, right? Adam and Eve, First people of God. His plan for them was that they would perfectly mirror, perfectly reflect the attributes of God. Not that they would be gods themselves, right? We're not Mormons. But like, but that they would... Come on, that was funny. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but not that they would be gods, but that they would reflect the justice of God and the love of God. Uh, and, and again, all of these communicable attributes is what we call them. All of these attributes of God that they would reflect them. And Adam and Eve did that perfectly. Until they sinned. Until, you guys know, you know the story. They ate the fruit that God told them not to. Sin entered the world. And the image of God in man became shattered. Uh, again, not removed. It's still in there. But the image of God because of sin in all of mankind has been shattered. And it has been distorted. And God, to redeem the image of himself in all man, sent his son to atone for our sin, to make us right with Him so that then we could begin to reflect that image more and more and more rightly like we were initially created to do. That's the plan of God for His people. He made man in His image. Man shattered the image by sin. God restores the image in Christ. And the Holy Spirit begins to conform us to that image more and more. So again, in a nutshell, the Holy Spirit enables us to reflect the image of God like we were created to. And God is glorified in this plan for his people. Again, he predestined us for this just as much as he did our salvation. And that alone should be enough incentive for us to push hard towards godliness. This is what we were designed for, to reflect Christ. But if you've been a Christian for more than a day, you know that this process of sanctification is hard, is it not? Right? I'll say this, just be honest. Um, if, if, you, if you think it's not hard, you're probably a Pharisee. Um, I don't know if you know Christ. But this process of sanctification is hard because it forces us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Right Now, that just made some Calvinists up in here get a little bit uncomfortable, didn't it? I just said you have to cooperate with God? Yes. Not for your salvation, but for your sanctification, absolutely. We must cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He enables us to see Christ clearly. Right? So here's your little rhyming Baptist thing for the day. We must, as the Spirit lets us see Christ, then attempt to be like the Christ He has let us see. Right? As, we, as the Spirit lets us see Him, we must then attempt to be like Him. That's how we cooperate. And in order to do that, 
we have to die daily. It's what Jesus says. We have to die to ourselves on a regular basis. We have to fight and kill our flesh and sinful desire that remain in us. And dying hurts. It's hard. In a certain sense, you could say that we have to daily commit spiritual suicide, and that is not easy. It is not easy to kill your flesh. It is a fight, and it will not come easily to us because the sinful nature that still remains in us won't allow it to happen easily. But again, now we have a new man. We have a new nature in us that desires the things of Christ, but our sinful nature won't allow it to go down easy. So this is a hard process. You guys know the fight that I'm talking about. And this is a long process, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has unveiled our faces, right? That's the new birth. That's regeneration, causing us to put our faith in Christ and be alive. He has unveiled our faces and has allowed us to behold the face of Christ. And in doing so, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. But Paul says it is one degree at a time. This is a long process. Right? Don't you wish you could jump about 50 of those suckers at once? Like That would be great. But Paul says one degree at a time. So this process is a hard one, and we must toil and labor to see results, and it is a lifelong process. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not very good at this. We're not. None of us. And again, like I said, if you think you are, you're probably a Pharisee because no one is nailing this 10 for 10. We're not very good at this. We could, we could always try harder, couldn't we? Just to be real, we could always try harder. We could always yield to the Spirit more, couldn't we? We could all get more accountability. We could all use the means of grace better. We could all be holier than we are right now. We're often not good at this. More often than we'd like to admit, we lose the battle with our flesh. More often than we'd care to admit, We sin. And instead of imaging forth Christ as we've been created to do, we image forth ourselves and our sinful desires. And we feel the weight of that, though, don't we? Because there's nothing more miserable than a sinning Christian. We feel the weight of our sin when we sin because of that new nature in us. So the sin nature won't let us be holy without a fight, and the new nature won't let us sin without a fight. And we can feel the weight and tension of that. And we say along with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Don't we feel that way sometimes? As we're struggling to be like Christ and reflect Him rightly? Why do I do the things that I do? And we say this with Paul because we do want to be like Christ. We have been given this nature by the Holy Spirit, but so often we give in to our flesh. We give in to sin. And hear me on this. You're never conquered by sin. You always give in to it. That'd be a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit to say that the Spirit of God is not strong enough to overcome sin. You just did not cooperate in that moment. We give in. And this indwelling sin weighs 
on us and we find ourselves frustrated by it. And we find ourselves growing tired of fighting it. Tell me if this is you because like, I, I, just, I, I wrote down some sentences in my notes that I find myself saying or praying or being frustrated with myself. Like I never get it right. I never get it right. And there is always something else. I kill one sin and I see three more hiding behind it. And I'm focusing on getting rid of this one. And I know that these are problems too. But I see this one as a more grievous sin against the Lord. And I want to tackle that one. But these are all sin too. And we become overwhelmed. And then we eventually end up saying, I'm just so sick of screwing up all the time. I'm sick of myself. I am so tired of sinning. I am sick of fighting with my sinful nature. Are you sick of sin? Are you sick of sinning? Or have you grown weary from the fight? Do you feel hopeless because there is always another sin to be killed? Because if that's you, I have two things for you. The first one is the gospel. Christ saves, not you. I am not talking out both sides of my mouth. I am not trying to undo everything that I've said about holiness. But Jesus Christ saves. Your obedience does not merit your salvation. Your holiness and progress and sanctification does not change your standing with God in Christ. That's good news for us. John says, beloved, we are God's children now. Not if we're holy enough, then we become God's children. But we are God's children now. From the moment that we first believe, this is true of you, Christian. Even when you fail in your sin. Even when you give in. You are still God's child. And the second thing from this text. One day it will end. The fight will be over and there will be no more sin in your life to conquer. The second half of verse 2 says, But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. John tells us that one day we will be glorified. One day we will be like Christ in His sinless perfection. We will not be like Him in every way, but definitely in this way. This is good news if you're tired of sin. This is good news if you're tired of the fight. If you've grown weary, one day you shall be like Him. John says, this is insane to me, that the very sight of Jesus Christ will transform us forever. Beholding Him as He is, will transform us. And again, how this works works is a mystery. John doesn't care to elaborate. I can't find anyone else in the New Testament that wants to elaborate on that one at all. So it's a mystery for us, but it is also a certainty for us. Because this is the promise of God to us. So I want to take a minute and encourage you. Take heart. God's word to us has just declared that we will see Christ. The children of God will see Him face to face and that our battle against sin will end and we will be finished with sin and sinning. Glory awaits us 
It is a certainty for us. We will look upon Christ's face and be forever changed. Another way we could say this is that we display the image of Christ partially now. And we are slowly and painfully being conformed into that image of Christ. But the promise that John tells us here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that one day when we see Him, we will perfectly reflect Him. That, this was, I was talking to my sister about this yesterday. One day, if you know the fight, if you really know the fight for holiness, this is sweet, sweet water for you. I don't know what to call it. It's just beautiful. That one day, obedience to Christ will flow as naturally and openly as a river in the wilderness. It will pour from your heart. There will be no struggle to reflect Him. You will just do it. Right? There will be no other nature for you to fight because the very presence of the Lord Jesus will eradicate your sinful nature. This is good news. So now in this life, we presently behold Christ as through a mirror dimly, but someday we will do so perfectly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is our hope. When I say hope, I don't mean that we hope as the world hopes, but this is our confidence. This is our confidence that someday we will be free from all sin and we will behold Christ face to face. This is a certainty for the children of God. And in verse 3, John ends this section with a description of the people who hope in this promise of perfection. He says, verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Don't forget that last verse. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. So I think John's saying, everyone who hopes for and longs for this day of sinlessness will now seek to be pure like Jesus. And just so we're clear, whenever John says pure, he means moral purity. Moral purity. So those who long to be without sin will strive to be without sin now. And those who long to perfectly reflect the Lord Jesus Christ will now strive to reflect Him as much as possible. And really, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, how does that work? It just makes sense. It's anticipation. It's anticipation. I'm convinced that that's that's at least one facet of what John's getting at here. That if we so desire to be sinless on the day when we see Christ, then we must try to do so now. To be like Him now, right? Like, like kids at Christmas, right? Like in anticipation of Christmas, and I used to do this. If you're like us, and we'd always have presents like before Santa came, right? And we all know Santa does. Are there kids in here? Whatever, you shouldn't be teaching your kids that anyway. Um, <laughs> right? But like kids, I'm kidding. It's not sinful to teach your kids about that guy. Um, I'm not even going to say his name. It's like Beetlejuice. Um, but yeah, like so this anticipation... It's like kids who, in, in anticipation of Christmas, stare at their presence under that tree every day. Right? They just sit there, and they're just intently staring at those things like, I want that. And they're trying to figure out what it is, and they're looking, they're picking up boxes, or they're shaking it and stuff. 
They probably end up breaking something in the process. Right? But we, we do the same, is what John's saying here. That though we don't see perfectly, again, we see as through a mirror dimly is what Paul, how Paul puts it, though we don't see perfectly, we continue to stare at the image of Christ as hard as we can and be conformed to it all in desire and anticipation of the day when it will come to completion. All those who hope in Christ in this way for sinless perfection in anticipation of that day purify themselves now. Furthermore, Christ is the standard of purity and perfection. And to hope in Him is to think on and look on and reflect on who He is and how He lived and what He has done. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the first sentence, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Right. So as we behold Him, we are being transformed. And to hope in Him is to daily behold who He is and trust in who He is. So hoping in Him has a purifying effect on us as we stare intently into the person and work of Christ. I know earlier we talked about how hard sanctification can be. Right? And, and how sometimes we get frustrated and sick of striving to be like Jesus. Not that we ever get sick of Christ, but we get sick of the fight. But it's interesting to see that in this verse, verse 3, John seems to be telling us that the hope of future perfection actually spurs us on. Right? Again, those who hope for this in Christ begin to strive to be like Him. This is motivation for us. It's like... It's always easier to keep doing something when you know that it isn't forever, right? Like the whole, like whenever you can see light at the end of the tunnel, you can push on to get to the end of the tunnel because you know that it's just not darkness forever. You can see where you're going to get out someday. Our light at the end of the tunnel is the promise of being like Christ when we see Him. That's motivation for us. The fact that this fight won't last forever should encourage us to give it everything that we have right now should be a huge source of encouragement for us. That we should fight hard until that day of assured victory over sin. And again, I would remind you, God is glorified in the fight. Not only in the final day of victory, but in the fight, He is glorified. As we more and more reflect who His Son is. So in light of what we've seen in these verses, um, I want to encourage you guys... I have three things. Um, This text really encouraged me this week. Um, If you're someone who knows what a miserable wretch that you are, hearing that one day you won't be that anymore (laughs) is super encouraging. right? The fact that though we are saved by the righteousness of Christ, this is a huge encouraging thought to me. Though, Though we are all saved by the righteousness of Jesus, not our own righteousness, John, I I would make this argument, tells us here that not only... So we will be judged off Christ's righteousness, but there is coming a day where like, we will actually be righteous. <laughs> Not just covered in righteousness, but the sin nature eradicated and we are actually righteous. That's incredible. It's incredibly encouraging to me. All right, so this text was huge for me. And honestly, I just try to teach you guys what I learned from the text myself. Right? So I got three things for you guys by way of encouragement in light of this. One, don't grow tired. Don't grow tired in the fight for holiness. Keep striving to behold Christ and be like Him. Remember earlier whenever I had you think on your sins and what that big one is that first came to mind that needs to go? 
Go from here and run that sin into the ground. Chase it to death. Kill it. Run it down. And be energized in that fight. Whatever, whatever it takes, whether it be accountability or just ridding things in your life or just saying, you know, I can't, I can't be associated with this stuff or maybe it's just for a season I can't be around these things. Whatever it is, leave no provision for your flesh. That's what Paul says. Leave no quarter for your sin. Kill it and be energized in that fight with the promise of future victory through Christ. Right? Don't give up because those who hope in Christ can always continue. And by His grace, you will succeed if you cooperate with the Spirit of God living in you. Two, this is big. Know that even in the midst of fighting and even failing to kill sin, that you are still the children of God. Please don't take a message about sanctification and turn it around into a works-based salvation. Please don't do that. I have done that so many times. You will break yourself. Because you'll begin to trust in your righteousness instead of the only righteousness that can save you in Christ. You are still the children of God even when you sin. I appreciate that John started this section off with that truth. We are God's children now. You don't belong to God. You are not God's child because of your obedience to Him. You are God's child because of His love for you. Not by works, but by Him who has mercy. By the grace of God, we are children of God. Our failure, and please hear me on this, your failure and your sin and your disobedience cannot and will not undo the work of Christ on your behalf. He is sufficient. He has satisfied the righteous requirement of the law. He has satisfied God's wrath on your behalf. Nothing can undo that. It is set in stone and it is a blasphemy to say that the work of Christ can be undone. He said it is finished. You are a child of God if you have turned to Christ in faith and repentance. Again, I'm not making an excuse for our sin, but this is the truth. Christ saves, not our obedience. And lastly... Keep hold of the truth and persevere by the truth that we will make it. We will be free from sin someday, completely. We will be perfectly holy. We will be actually righteous. We will be completely free from sin and its temptation and its power. It is only a matter of time for us. It is certain. Right? It's like whenever you already have the... Uh, Tax refund money spent in your head. You know like where it's going to go. And you're just waiting for the check. It's like that. It's that certain. One day we will be sinless. This is God's promise to His children. So in light of God's precious promises to us and our resolve to continue to fight our indwelling sin, I want to end with a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Because of these promises, we can press into them in the grace of God and actually reflect the image of Christ as we were designed to do. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for being good and gracious to us, though we don't deserve it, though we are sinners, that your love for us is not contingent upon how good we are, but how good you are, how perfect your son was, not how perfect we can be. God, we could never pay our sin debt back to you, but Christ has done so on the cross, and we thank you for that. And God, in light of the, of the fact that you're going to purge us from all sin, God, let that incite us to greater holiness and greater obedience. God, let us not cheapen your grace, but to push into your grace that we might be like your son. Make us into holy people, please. That's your plan for us. That's what we ask for. Conform us to the image of your son. And God, again, we thank you for the fact that Christ has saved us through his work. Thank you so much for that. We praise you. We'll thank you forever. In his name, amen.